Welcome to Sea of Fire Ministries with James Myers. In this series, we are observing men and women in the Bible, what we can learn from them, and observing God's constant faithfulness in the lives of His people. Today we conclude our consideration of Moses. We discuss the bitter waters of Marah made sweet, the bread which fell from heaven, water from the rock, the angel of the Lord, and the golden calf. We hope this message serves to edify the church. Okay, so as we are going to finalize our consideration of just Moses, I mean, we're still going to continue with our uh, series of looking at other men and women in the Bible, Uh, but today is going to be our last look at Moses, and some of these we're going to have to look at fairly briefly to get through everything we want to look at today, or what I want us to look at today, Um, and so some of these will be fairly brief. One thing I also wanted to mention is throughout his life, He's always, he's always determined to save from injustice. Remember, that's kind of how the story even started with him when he was taking up for the Hebrew who was being beaten by the Egyptian, right? And so he killed the Egyptian. Then he has to flee to Midian, to the Midianite wilderness, and then he saves Jethro's daughters. So he's always seeking to deliver people, seeking to deliver people out of injustice. And we, we saw that in particular through the Exodus and the passing through the Red Sea, okay? Now what we're going to look at first is immediately pretty much proceeding. Remember when they passed through the Red Sea and, they, and we even read that great song from Moses, right? That they were all singing, they were all celebrated. They were just saved through this great deliverance, right? This wonderful, magnificent, all of the plagues first of all, and then they are, you know, driven out and they they're they pass through the red sea and then they come to this this uh, area called that which we'll see that they call morah and the waters are bitter there it takes them three days to get there but let's go ahead and read it and we're just going to read from verse 22 to uh, verse 27 okay so moses brought israel from the red sea then they went out into the wilderness of shur and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water now when they came to Marah, they could not drink the waters of Marah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Marah. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? So he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it in the wa- into the waters, the w- waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. And, he, and said, If you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God, and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elim, where there were twelve wells, twelve wells of water and seventy palm trees. So they camped there by the water. So they get to this place called Marah. Marah means bitter, okay? And so they end up calling it Marah. But they've been traveling for three days, immediately, fall, and they're in the desert, you know, so they have no water, and so they are going to die of dehydration unless they find some water. And then finally, they find some water in a completely uncultivated land, so it's not surprising that they find water that's not suitable to drink, okay? But these waters are bitter, so this is so three days after the deliverance, they start complaining. They just saw all of God's amazing providence, and they come to their first so. As salvation, right? Salvation is wonderful. The deliverance out of salvation is amazing, but it's not long after one after a man or a woman is saved, or they come to a moment of bitterness, a bitter encounter, some kind of affliction 
in their lives. Might be self-imposed. It doesn't have to be though. But and that's what they're. That's what's kind of happening here. And they begin immediately to complain about the very God, to the very God. Well, ultimately to Moses, but ultimately about God. Uh, um, right after their deliverance and right after their salvation. Now, what happens is so. You know, they complain to him, right? They, uh, they complained against Moses saying, what, what shall we drink? Uh, so he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a, drink, a tree. When he cast it into the waters, uh, uh, the waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them, and there he tested them. Now, we don't know if the tree had these powers in and of itself to make the bitters, bitter waters pure or sweet. But, again... We need to see the allegories in these accounts. And so we see our Savior, who died on the tree, right? And the, the, the tree, uh, the cross, is what turns the bitter waters, turns our afflictions, turns from our, you know, it takes us back to our deliverance, basically, and sanctifies us. Remember, the, 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 the purpose of salvation, the purpose of the cross of Christ, isn't only to save. It's also to conform you more and more and more into his likeness. Okay. I do want to uh, just quote a couple of verses as well. Uh, Psalm 106, 13 through 15 says, uh, They soon forgot his works. He's talking about this specific account. They did not wait for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tested God in the desert. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness in, into their souls. So, and we'll see. Because we're also we're going to look at the bread which came down from heaven, so we'll, we'll see that they forget um, uh, his promises. But so he does fulfill the request. He will provide them with bread. He will provide them with quail. He provides them with water. But he 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 puts leanness into their souls. So he feeds their for their sustenance for their bodies. But he puts leanness into their souls because they continue to complain. They continue to doubt him. They continue to cry out against him. Ultimately, his servant Moses, but again, Moses is the mediator of the old covenant. This is no different than us complaining against Christ. Okay, so it's the same uh, kind of a deal. Philippians 2, 12 through 18 says, again, this is Paul. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you have, as you have always obeyed, uh, remember, Philippi was a great church. That's where Lydia was saved, that jailer was freed. Um, so, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who uh, works in you both to, to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault, without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Again, that just goes back and just goes on to do these things without complaining, without disputing. We seek to serve our God, right? Who's who's ever faithful, who is ever faithful. And when we come to bitter waters, we ought to seek his guidance before we start complaining against him, okay? God is the one who's always faithful, and, and we must not, you know, we must not assume too much. We, can't, we shouldn't accuse him of being anything other than perfect. He is altogether perfect. He is altogether holy. 
and it's we ourselves who are broken, and that causes us to assume his brokenness too, which we'll get to a little bit when we consider idolatry. Okay. So let's go move, turn to Exodus 16, and we're going to talk about the manna which f- fell from heaven. So they end up calling this bread manna. Okay, let me just tell because in, in, in the evening, we'll, we'll see that uh, quail is delivered. It actually comes up out of the ground. Uh, so they get meat, and then in the morning, there's dew on the ground, and when they go and pick it up, they say it looks like it's white as coriander seeds. So these are coriander seeds. And this is kind of, you know, it's a, it's a rough depiction of what it might have looked like, you know, because it, it looked all like dew, but then when they were gathered, it, it basically became bread, you know, but it was white like coriander seed, and it, again, it was on the dew of the ground. This is to provide for them. Okay. And they journeyed from Elim, and all the, con- oh, real quickly, Elim. So r- right after the waters are made sweet, they travel on, and they come to this place called Elim, where there were 12 w- wells of water and 70 palm trees, so they camped there by the water. So look at the providence of God in and through these accounts. He tested them. He will test them in the wilderness. God, again, God will test us. God will test us. He will not tempt us. He will test us, and he tests these people, ten- taking them to the, the bitter waters. They complain. He still provides for them, and then he, ultimately, he immediately sends them to this place called Elim, where there are 12 wells of water, all sorts of water, and 70 So obviously the 12, 12 wells are pointing to the 12 tribes of Israel. The 70 palm trees, now not all palm trees produce coconuts, but I have to assume these did, so that would provide for their sustenance because it's before the bread starts coming from heaven. So, uh, so I, I think it's just providential. Now the 70... They end up having 70 elders over Israel. However, there were 70 people that went with Jacob into Egypt. I think that's to symbolize that 70. We see 70 throughout the Bible. Jesus sends out 70 of his disciples, all sorts of 70s everywhere. But, you know, this is obvious symbolism. But, you know, on the one hand, it's wells of water and palm trees for, again, their their sustenance, their provision. God is the God of providence. Okay. So, yeah, chapter 16. And they journeyed from Elim, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they departed from the land of Egypt. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. There we go again. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So this is what I was talking about, you know, when they already start complaining and want to go back to Egypt. They want to, they're truly, you know, I doubt they want to go back as slaves. They're probably assuming that since they plundered the Egyptians, they'll come back conquerors. And, you know, the Pharaoh, you know, has died in the sea. You know, God has completely rid them of him. And so they might think that they can go back conquerors. Who knows? But they want to return to the place of bondage and not to the promised land. That's, that's key. And again, we have to see this in our own time and in our own lives where we, where we ultimately, we, we want to make our own way. We want to make our own little t- design. We want to go our own way. And they wanted to go to Egypt. We do not always want to go the way God tells us to go. And that is what we need to focus on, what God says and what God commands his people and what his will is. They are already going against that. 
then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain uh, bread from heaven for, for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will, take, whether they will walk in my law or not. We'll see how we test them. Uh, and it should be on the sixth day that, you, that, they prepare, that they shall prepare what they bring in, and it should be twice as much as they gather daily, because on the Sabbath they can't work, so ultimately he's going to give them a double proportion on, for the Sabbath, so on the Friday preceding Saturday, and that won't go bad. The rest of the days it will go bad if you keep it overnight, as we'll see. Uh, then Moses and Aaron said to all the children of Israel, At evening you shall know that the Lord has brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, for he hears your complaints against the Lord. But what are we that you complain against us? Again, here's, here's Moses saying, when we were looking at the, Bible, the apologetics in the Bible, he continues to say, You are complaining against God. Who are we? We are nothing. God has been doing this, and so who are we uh, that you complain against us? Also Moses said, this, you sh this shall be seen, when, uh, when the Lord gives you meat to eat in the evening, that's the quail, and in the morning bread to the full, for the Lord uh, hears your complaints which you make against him. And what are we? Your complaints are not against us, but against the Lord. There you go. Then Moses spoke to Aaron, say to all the con congregation of the children of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your complaints. Now it came to pass, as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, I have heard the complaints of the children of Israel. Speak to them, saying, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So it was that quails came up at evening and covered the camp. And in the morning, the dew lay all around the camp. And when the layer of dew lifted, there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Okay, let's pause here real quickly. Because Christ, said, when, after Christ had fed the 5,000 and the 4,000, the, the people are looking all over for him. And he, and he even says... You are not seeking me because of what I'm saying. In other words, you're not seeking me for the right reason. You're seeking me for more bread. And he says, I am the bread which came from heaven. Eat of me and you will never hunger. I am the water of everlasting life. Drink of me and you will never thirst. So this is, this is another allegory of the resplendent and infinite providence of God in the body of his son. In the body of his son, we are going to have communion today, so we, I want us to pay attention and, and recognize the, the, the fulfillment and, and the majesty that, that, that God is doing in and through all these different accounts, pointing forward to Jesus Christ. He is the bread which came down from heaven to feed all of his people, to fill all of his people, to bless all of his people at morning and at evening all the time and he all we have to do is go out and gather him go out and seek him through his word through his testimony okay um this is the thing which the lord has commanded let every man gather it according to each one's need one omer for each person according to the number of persons let every man take for those who are in his tent so again they are allowed to take a certain amount okay that this is part of the testing then the children of Israel did so and gathered some more, some less. So when they measured it by omers, he who gathered much had nothing left over, and he who gathered little had no lack. Every man had gathered according to each one's need. 
And Moses said, Let no one leave any of it till morning. Notwithstanding, they did not heed Moses, but some of them left part of it until morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Again, so they're already testing. They're already seeing, you know, well, let's see if this actually works. We can, we can have some leftovers possibly tomorrow. That'd be great. So they gathered it uh, every morning, every man according to his need. And when the sun became hot, it melted. And so it was on the sixth day that they gathered twice as much uh, bread, two omers for each one. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. Then he said to them, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. <clears throat> Bake what you will bake today, and boil what you will boil, and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. So they laid it up until morning, as Moses commanded, it did not stink, nor were there any worms in it. Again, so this is the one day that there's an exception, just before the Sabbath, and they're supposed to prepare for it the day before, so that they do no work on the Sabbath. It's very important for the Jew, and it should be important for us. The, the Sabbath is a day of rest, for in it, God rested. After the sixth day, he created everything, and even on the, the sixth day, he, he rested, he blessed that day, and called everything good, and all the rest. So it's a very sacred day um, for them. Uh, okay, so 25. Then Moses said, Eat that today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, that Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, but they found none. Do you see? Do you see? Every single opportunity, every single little chance that they can go against God for their own greed, basically, again, this is, this is our own tendency. We are not unlike these people. That is, that is the point. Okay. Now it happened that some of the people went, okay, sorry. Then the Lord said to Moses, how long do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? Remember, Moses is the mediator. So God is saying, how long will you you know, because Moses is a representative of his people, of, the, uh, of Israel. It's the same thing. He mediates to God for them. That's why he continues to go plea for them. He is the mediator. So God will come and tell, ask him, uh, How long do you refuse to keep, my, to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And the house of Israel called its name manna. Uh, again, that literally means what? I don't know if I said that. It means what? Because they didn't know what it was. They were like, what is this? And so they called it what? Uh, and it was like white coriander seed. And the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Then Moses said, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded. Fill an omer with it to be kept for your generations that they may see the bread which with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. So in the Ark of the Covenant, this is one thing that, that is in there, an omer of the manna, which obviously God caused to never spoil. You know, So in the Ark of the Covenant, there would be a few different things. Aaron's staff, which ended up budding later on. I mean, other, the two tablets of stone of the law, other things. But this is one thing that was in there. Excuse me. And Moses said to Aaron, take a pot and put, it, put an uh, omer of manna in it, excuse me, and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. There you go. And the, and the children of Israel ate manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate manna until they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Now an omer was a tenth of Anifal. You know, it, it, their measurements, they're easy, they're charts that you can see if you actually want to see the amount. But... Each one was to take a certain portion for their household. 
So again, the, perf the providence of God provides his people with his son, the bread which came down from heaven, to a proportion that you will never lack and you will never have any left over. Now remember though, when, when the prodigal son came to himself and he says, you know, in my father's house he has servants with bread enough and to spare. Now I hope we can kind of see the, the fuller view of that. God, God has enough to, you know, again, the salvation of Christ, the providence of, of salvation through the cross and through him sending the Spirit is infinite. It's infinite. It's powerful enough to fill the whole world. So, our Father's house has bread enough and to spare. It is merely there for us to consume. It is there for us to take and eat and partake in. Give us this day our daily bread. That's what it is. That's what it is. I mean, it's, it is the physical providence and, and our sustenance. But ultimately, it is the feeding of his word, the feeding of his truth, the feeding of his sanctification, the feeding of his glory and his presence for his people. They will never lack and it's not possible that they can have too much. Okay. Okay, this is one that we're going to look at fairly briefly, and we're not even going to read these accounts, but there are two times this happens, okay? In Exodus 17, 1 through 7, basically, again, they have no water, and uh, God commands Moses to go strike a rock, and he does, and water comes out, and so they have water, okay? The second time... This is kind of closer to, this is near the time that they will, they will enter the, prom, the promised land, okay? And God, and same thing, they don't have water, and, and God commands Moses to speak to the rock. I will, be, I will be on the rock, basically, and just speak to the rock, and, and it will pour out water. And Moses is angry. I mean, again, this is after 40 years of dealing with these people, you know, and he's just beside himself with frustration at this point. And so again, God told him to just speak to the rock, and water will come out, and he strikes it twice. Instead, he hit it in anger, because again, and he, and he rebuked the people. He was really angry with the people, and it was because of that. It was really because of that. This whole time we've seen the faithfulness of Moses, right? It's because of that that he doesn't get to enter into the promised land. He, he's able to go up onto a mountain, and God shows it to him. He's never able to enter it. He dies just before they, they uh, enter Canaan, uh, which we'll see next week, God willing, uh, with the account of Joshua. But So he, that is why. So that's why I wanted to show you this. Now, the water coming out of the rock. Christ is the rock of ages, and he is our foundation. We stand upon the foundation that he has laid and he provides for us. He purifies, he washes, he fills, he quenches all of everything, all of our needs, whether physical or spiritual, uh, psychological, philosophical, whatever, name it, name it, all of that. God has created, God rules and reigns. All of that is ours. For the asking, he's more than happy to cleanse you 
to quench your spiritual thirst. For he is the rock of ages. He will never fail you. you when you come to Christ, you are not building your house on sand. He says that. He talks about building your house on a rock. Build your house on a rock, not on sand. Okay. All right. Doing all right. Okay. Now, uh, let's turn to Exodus uh, chapter 23, and we'll read verses 20 through 33. I don't really want to say much about this. We'll consider this when we look at Exodus specifically, God willing. But this is a beautiful thing that God, God does. And this is the Hebrew of the abbreviation Yahweh. Hebrews read from right to left, though. So it's Yahweh. Okay. And I'm not going to bore you with the letters. All right. Uh, okay, 20. Behold, I send an angel before you to keep you in the way and, bring, and to bring you into the place which I have prepared. So that's the promised land. Uh, beware of him and obey his voice. Do not provoke him, for he, will not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. Remember, this is the angel of the Lord. This is basically Christ or the Spirit. I, I mean, again, God is one, but he's sending his Spirit, an angel, Christ, whatever you want to see it. Uh, beware of, okay. Uh, but but if you indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be then I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries. For my angel will go before you and bring you into the Amorites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Those are all the lands that they will have to conquer, which we'll see. And anyway. Uh, you shall not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do according to their works. But you shall utterly overthrow them and completely break down their sacred pillars. So you shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless your bread and your water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of you. No one shall suffer miscarriage or, the, or be barren in your land. I will fulfill the number of your days. I will send my fear before you. I will, ca I will cause confusion among all the people to whom you come. And I will make all your enemies turn your, their backs to you. And I will send hornets before you, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before you. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. We've talked about that. Uh, little by little I will drive them out from, you, from before you until you have inc increased and you inherit the land. And I will set your bounds from the Red Sea to the sea, Philistia, and from the desert to the river. That's Euphrates. For I, will for I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and you shall drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in your land, lest they make you sin against me. For if you serve their gods, I will surely be a snare to you. Which they do. They do make covenants with them. They do serve their gods. And, and he does bring certain plagues to the people, as we'll see in later accounts. But again, so God is providing his angel to go with them on the way to protect them. And if they will obey God, he will serve as their deliverer to be the, an enemy to their enemies, an adversary to their adversaries, and to be uh, their captain, basically, their host, their uh, army leader. Okay. Last and finally, and this is the one I really want to kind of sp spend the most time on, and fortunately I think we have enough time to read the whole chapter. So let's turn to Exodus 32. In brief um, uh, preface, uh, so Moses goes up on the mount to receive the law 
and he's up there for about 40 days. He's up there for a while, right? And and the people don't really, well, that's just the preface, okay? So Moses is up on the mountain, and now we can read the chapter. We'll kind of stop throughout this, you know, and talk about it a little bit and, 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 and discuss. But again, so Moses is on the mountain at this point. Now, when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come make us gods that shall, uh, that shall come, I'm sorry, that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who, was, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has, ha- what has become of him. So here, they are ascribing too much to Moses. See, they are saying that he brought them up out of the land of Egypt. It was God who brought them up. They, they, they are doing this against God's servant, God's mediator, Moses, which is again like doing it against Christ. Okay, they're basically saying we don't know what happened to this, just like the church does since Christ is tarrying. They so they say, you know, they're taking he's taking too much time, and so we're gonna make our own little stuff, we're gonna make our own little gods, and there are too many to number, sadly, in the church today. Uh, But we'll consider that here shortly. But again, this, this is to depict, this is to show. The church as well. This is the church of the Old Testament, the assembly of the Old Testament, to show just like, to warn us against doing the same. Okay. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Now remember, this is the plunder. This is the plunder that God had given them. They're rich. You know, they have plundered the Egyptians. They are full of all this. So even the thing is, so Aaron, Aaron is Moses' brother. And he's, he's the high priest at this time, the Jewish high priest. And he tells them, go get the articles of gold, basically, that God gave us, that God delivered into our hands. And they do. They, they come and, and tithe to their new God. Uh, so all the people broke off the golden earrings, which were in their ears, and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and, he, and this is important, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. So that's going to play a part later on, because he just says he threw it in the fire and it came out a calf when Moses is all upset. Then they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. There's more to that with a calf that I'm not going to go into. But, so they are, they are attributing their deliverance now to this new God that so... This is what I'm talking about. When the church starts to preach about a Christ who doesn't exist, who changed Christ to conform to what they want, to conform to their own ideas. Again, idolatry does not only have to involve stone or gold or any of these things. They're ideas. They're these little, where we want to make up a God. Okay, we'll get there. But we want to make up a God. We, we think that we know best. And so instead of the God who has revealed himself, we're just going to make up a God you know, of our own ideas, of our own making. We think it's this. That is not, that is not God-honoring. And that is not Christian. We serve the God who is, and we live under the God who is, not who we want him to be. Okay. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast of the Lord. And they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought, brought peace offerings, and the, children, and the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go get down for your, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt. Now he's kind of agreeing with the people. Uh, have corrupted themselves. 
They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. you got to hear God's anger here. His righteous indignation. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and I will make, make of you a great nation. Again, so here's righteous indignation. He wants to destroy them all, right? God's designed because he's righteous. He is a perfect judge. And so now he's basically saying, I will destroy them all, and I will make of you. Now my promise to Abraham is going to go through you. <laughs> okay, we're going to go through. And same thing that had happened to Noah. Uh, then Moses pleaded with him. Again, this is, this is our, the mediator. Then Moses pleaded with him. He didn't change his mind. Okay, he, but let's listen to what Moses says. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord his God and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you... So now he's saying, no, 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 no. I know it's you who brought them out. Okay, I know, I know they've got this twisted, but you brought them out. Uh, you, so why does your wrath uh, burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak and say, he brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have spoken of, I will give to your descendants and they shall inherit it forever. So Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. So Moses points to God's own promises. Again, God knows this. God knows this. Now he's testing his servant. Are you already frustrated enough, Moses? Is this too much for you? You want to throw in the towel? You want me to get rid of all these people and make you the new Abraham and make this new covenant just through you? How, how much? How, where's your pride? Where are you, Moses? And Moses immediately entreats him and says, God, I didn't deliver these people. All right. I know I died, you know, <laughs> I, uh, since the burning bush until this time, you know, I know your faithful hand has been through this all. And that's why I've been getting so frustrated with the people and saying, you know, who are we? Why are you complaining against us? It's God. It's God who you're complaining against. So he, he points him back to the promises. If he destroyed these people, he would have broken his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and Jacob. Obviously, because he promised through their seed whom he's about to destroy. So, so let's recognize that, 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 Paul, that uh, Moses is pointing uh, God back to his own promises. And that's what relents God, because his grace is just as perfect as his justice. It's just as perfect as his wrath. They're, they, they, <laughs> they're altogether perfect, and he's just as able to condemn and destroy as he is to save and to sanctify, to make righteous and purify and bring to himself. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of testimony were in his hands. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. That is something we will have to wait for when we consider this account specifically God willing. There's so much in the, these different accounts, but I want to continue, continue talking about the golden calf really to look at uh, the idolatry in our own time. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 
Uh, and when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise of the shout of victory. So Moses is saying this. It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. These people are playing. These people are going into gross, gross wickedness, which we'll see later, or you will see in your later readings. There, and again, though, there are millions of people. This is the largest worship service the world has ever seen. There are millions of people worshiping this golden calf. The church hasn't had that, sadly. The largest worship service to ever happen is this. So, so Joshua hears a bunch of commotion and he thinks it's war. It's hard to, sometimes it's hard to decipher whether it's fun or whether it's war coming from the heathen, coming from the unbeliever. Sometimes it's hard to distinguish. So it was, as soon as he came near the camp, that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot, and he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. That's where we get the term breaking the law. That's breaking the law. Then he took the calf, which the, and so he has to go back up to the mountain and get a second copy. God has to give him a, <laughs> give him a new one. Uh, then he took the calf, which they had made burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and he scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. If you will have idolatry, if you will serve other gods, you will be consumed by your other gods. That's what this is. It's a great judgment and it's a righteous judgment. They came to bitter waters and they complained. Now they're making for themselves bitter waters. That's the point. That's basically the point. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you, have brought, that you have brought so great a sin upon them? So let's pay attention. So Aaron said, Do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. Not me. Not me. Aaron, Moses, come on now. <laughs> for they said to me, Make us gods that shall, come, that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us, up, brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, Whoever has any gold, let them break it off. So, <laughs> Whoever has any gold, everybody had gold. <laughs> so they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. Remember, he fashioned it. He specifically fashioned the calf, and now he's lying to Moses, this high priest. So let's take heed. Let's go back to the exhortation from Paul to those elders. Take heed to yourselves. Take heed to the flock. This is just as likely to happen to a minister of the gospel or, or uh, of the church as it is to the congregation of the church. Nobody's immune to this. Nobody. Not even Moses. Okay? Because he, he struck the rock two times, remember? So he's not perfect either. Um, now when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, for Aaron had not uh, restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. Again, remember, that's his tribe. Okay. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, and every man his neighbor. Now, so there, there are people in the church who, who sit and, and need to be rebuked, need to come under the discipline of the church. But there are some who Paul says are anathema. They must be cast out of the church. And so that's what this is symbolizing. They must be cast out of the church. Once they 
go to this, the supreme evil and they are just intent on doing their evil and not being faithful to God or not seeking to obey God, but they just want to worship a calf of their own making, then, then they, are, they must be driven out of the church. So the sons of Levi did according to the words of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Which, hasn't, I mean, isn't all that many considering how many were doing this. Remember, 600,000 men are part of this whole thing. So that's why there are millions of people, because that's families as well. So 3,000 men out of 600,000 men isn't all that much. So just calm down. But it's, it's, a, it's a righteous judgment. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourself today to the Lord, that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. This is the heart of a mediator. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Moses is saying, if you will not deliver these people, don't deliver me. If you will not forgive these people, don't forgive me. Whatever you do to these people, do to me. That is a, that's what Christ did. That's why Christ went to the cross. Okay. And the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. God says, I'm the one who determines that. I'm the one who says that. Okay. Now, therefore, go lead the people to the place of which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. So the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. And we'll see other plagues besides uh, throughout the history of, uh, of, of Israel. But I want to talk about... I was, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day, somebody I dearly love and, and, and respect and admire greatly. And so I want to say something, and, and obviously this doesn't go against the character of the person, but it does... So I want to make a point against what was supposed. So they're saying that they believed in that there is a God. Right? There is a God. Right? And they thought that basically we're supposed to just do the best we can. Right? Just do the best you can. Now, again, I love and adore this person. However, I, can't, I can think of few, very few other things that are more fearsome to me than the thought of that. First of all, there's no objective measure to determine. And I told this person, basically Hitler thought he was doing the best he was doing. You know, how do you determine that? So, I mean, obviously there has to be an objective law, right? Well, then if there is an objective law, what would be doing your best? Doing your best would actually be doing the law perfectly. And if you do the law perfectly, you have no Jesus. You'd have no need of Jesus. The problem is we don't. So all I'm saying is, we develop these things. We, we want to, to, and that's kind of an American thought anyway. This, this independence has, has driven us to idolatry, to flee from the God who is and make one of our own making. You know, so many, even in the so many claim to be Christians. Uh, Jude told me about an acquaintance of his who says he's a Christian, 
But, and he also says, God is fine with him living a certain perverse life. And the church does that. There are churches who, who will admit and, 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 and allow and even preach a Christ who doesn't mind. He's got better things to do. I've heard Christians say this, as if the God omnipotent doesn't know all and just gets too busy. What a silly, scary, if you think about it. What, that, is, that is not only a hideous, but it's a fearsome thing. If I'm left to be saved by the best that I can do, I will not be saved. I know there are many moments I do not do the best I can. There are all sorts of Moses, moments none of us do the best we can. Christ has come. God has made his revelation known throughout time. A progressive, wonderful, redemptive story that he has fulfilled through his son in the fullness of time in real and true history. He has left too much for us to make him up. To, and I, I, that's all I'm saying. I, I can't think of anything more scary than to worship a God of my own making. I know that God cannot save me. I know on that day, I have no hope if I'm the one, if I'm depending on myself to be saved. Okay, so let us worship the God who is. That is when, when the, the story of Moses. That is the people complaining constantly against him because they want, they think, that, that any trouble, any trouble means that God is judging them and all this kind of thing. Remember, God will test you. God will purify you as in fire. Remember, we've talked about that. So, let's worship God, the God who is and glorify him now and forever. All right, praise God. Any questions? All right, let's pray. and your glory, Father, that we might seek you and know you as you are, that we might come to you as you have come to us. Be with us each moment of every day. May we seek you morning and evening, and you are ever present with us. We ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to Sea of Fire Ministries. We hope and pray this has blessed you in your walk with God, and we hope you join us again next week. You have been listening to Sea of Fire Ministries, where the Word of God is life.